You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 16, Jana, 76 AD, May. My mother had blessed me before she died, and the time the baby grew in me was easy. I slept in our bed, our home protected by Laverne and our crystals, comforted by his warm breath on my neck and arm over my shoulder. It was a time of peace and recovery for my body and mind. Passage dreams were not a part of this life, nor were visions until the night before Chrissy's birth, ten days after the Beltane ceremony. Our Beltane festival was good that year. Our animals were healthy, many carried young, and our crops grew fruitful with an early warm spring. Laverne and the clan members, satisfied with the graces and blessings the gods had given us, knew we would have enough food for next winter. Sleep had become precious to me, and I did not get enough as the size of my belly grew. When I did sleep, it was for short times. The night before my birthing pain started, I settled, next to Laverne, trying to get as comfortable as possible on my side. I realized I had to pee and groaned. What is it? Have the pain started? Laverne was as ready for our daughter to be born as I. No, I must pee again, and I will take a small walk. The moon is full, and I want to sit under it, alone, for a time. When the babe is born, I will not have any time alone. Laverne pushed against my back to help me get my unmovable body up. The baby, a small boulder's weight I carried in my belly, threw my balance off. It was difficult to rise out of bed without help. I would not only welcome a healthy babe, but my body back as well when the time came. Outside on a stool near our well, I sat for a few moments in the light of the moon, envisioning our home with a small child in it. My body cooled, I shivered, and rose to go in. On my walk back, a flash of light caused me to look up at our home. It had disappeared. In front of me was the framework of an unfinished lodge. Gazing around, I saw it was the house Laverne and I lived in, where I grew up. Instead of walls, rooms, and a fire pit, only the support posts and crossbeams for a future roof were standing. The room we built where his crystals lay buried under the posts was part of the shell that was outlined by the timbers. This was strange as we added that room after he came to live in my mother's home. I stood, turning, and staring deep into the unfinished abode. I searched for something precious to me. I walked into it and paced around the uneven floor. A picture dropped into my mind and I realized I was looking for a baby. There, crying, lying on the cold dirt, was a newborn girl child. She was naked on the white stag pelt. An owl, my mother's sign, was perched on the floor next to her in a protective stance. The owl hooted and watched me intently as I walked to the baby. I stooped to the floor, the owl grew quiet, and the baby stopped crying. I picked her up and saw my eyes studying me from her face. The goddess whispered her name into my ear like a spring breeze. Chrissy. 
Her eyes looked deep into mine with a knowledge of all newborns, the knowledge we forget as we grow. Her hands waved in the air in front of her face. I reached for them. She grabbed my finger in a strong grip. I looked at her feet, raised above her nakedness. Laverne's second toes on each foot were longer than his large ones, and she had toes like her father. He said it was a family mark from his mother. This child, Chrissy, was a child of ours, a mixture of our families. This was our baby. I cradled her gently as I lifted her to the stars to display her to the gods. This is my daughter. This is Laverne's daughter. This is Chrissy, the one who will carry our blood into the future. A pain brought me back, seated outside my home in the dirt, empty hands lifted to the sky. When told of my vision, Laverne discerned that we, he and I, and Chrissy, would be the start of a new bloodline. The lodge in my vision represented our family, and we were the beginning frame for it. The next generations would continue to build, creating a secure family line, establishing a safe home. The next day I worked between the panes with the help of Silius to ready our home for a baby. We cooked, stored water and wood. I renewed the mistletoe in the window and juniper branches under our bed. Energy ran through my veins. I did not want to sit down. Laverne was underfoot, trying to get me to settle, so I chased him out to gather herbs in the gardens around the village. He returned for the evening meal, and Heralt joined us. The pains were strong. I knew our daughter would come soon. Our baby should be born by the sacred spring, I said. We can give her the taste of its cool water with her first breath. She will carry it with her all her life, its protection and its memory of this home. All agreed. Heralt, go check the ill, said Laverne. Tell them I will be there in the morning. Tonight I tend my wife at my daughter's birth. He turned to me, smiled, grasped my hands, and kissed my forehead. My love for him was never stronger. He was my protector, my baby's father. Our owl followed us into the grove near the spring where the waterfall spray was lifted to us by the evening breeze. Of the birth, I remember Laverne's strong hands supporting me while I squatted and Celius's gentle hands rubbing my back. Chrissy was born with a taste of her home on her lips, her grandmother watching over her and surrounded by love. Clean and wrapped in the protective white stag's pelt, she did not cry until the next morning. She grew healthy and strong. Seventy-nine A.D. May My adult life had contained the many fears and visions of war and early death. Since Chrissy's birth, many of the fears were resting. I did not know whether they were gone or asleep like a bear in winter. When Chrissy had passed three springs, she, Laverne, and I hiked up the mountain trail behind our fort. We often looked there for flowers used in healing. I was in a peaceful place in my life, and watching her play brought back memories of her birth. She was a peaceful baby, easy to care for. Even now she would rather laugh and play than cry. I often took care of other children of our clan at this age, and they had become willful. Chrissy had shown some stubbornness, I told Laverne it is from him, but usually she listens to us. 
I see a wisdom in her eyes I had not seen in other children. I like to think that she was the best child in our clan. I was sure, however, all mothers thought this way. I had heard and joined in when mothers bragged about what their children had done, but none sounded as smart as Chrissy. It seems the goddess Marigna will only bless us with one child. I have prayed and made pilgrimages to the waterfall for a sacred water and done all the other things a woman must do to have a baby, but, as Laverne said before, the gods act in ways we do not understand sometimes, and I have no more children, not even a whisper of one. I have not given up, but I have learned not to hope so much. Now, when my bloody time comes, my heart does not cut with longing, and I do not hear a ghost babe cry in the night. If it happens, I will rejoice. This day echoed with laughter as we came around the mountain. When we saw our home, I asked Laverne to stop. I want to spend the rest of the day overlooking the hilltop and the valley beyond, I said. Our lives are very good. I wish to say thank you to the goddess Marigna for this time of my life and my family. I have a block of peat. I can start a fire, said Laverne. Chrissy played and hid in a small cave nearby. The peat was damp and the fire smoke curled around my head. I slipped into a passage dream with Ain. She was with a man. I felt in her heart she loved him and I was glad for her. I guided her eyes to look through mine. I wanted her to see my family and home. She looked through my eyes at the hilltop fort and the dwelling Chrissy grew up in. Ain, know that I am satisfied. Here we are happy. Here life is good, I said in my mind to her. This was the first time I had been able to direct the dream, the first time I could pass along a message. Many things in my life changed when Chrissy was born. Maybe this was one. Maybe our future was another. For the first time in many months, I had hope. Eighty-one A.D., August. We attended small dolls every season, but every third season was a large, more doll, a gathering of many, and this year Chrissy was old enough for me to take her. Six of us journeyed, Kenrick and Logan, now ten seasons old, Laverne, Chrissy, and I, and a warrior, Dom. Dom was a young buck who had proven himself in the practice arena and as a hunter for the clan. Finley will be the appointed chieftain while we are gone, Kenrick told the clan before we left. He will have all the rights of judgment he needs to settle small disputes. If something larger comes before the council, then it will wait until I return. Agreement set the meeting place at the intersection of many clans. Some had far to come, and some lived close, but no one crossed the land of their enemies. The land we traveled was beautiful. A few purple and yellow field flowers waved in the breezes along with the long grass for our animals. We brought two ponies to carry our shelter and cooking tools and a few goats to milk. Logan rode rarely. However, Chrissy rode often as her short legs could not keep up with us, and although small, she was too heavy to carry. We tied her to the pony when she fell asleep on its rocking back. 
Chrissy carried on long conversations with the pony. She tried to draw its attention to the birds in the sky and other animals we saw on the trail. She was very good at naming the animals and in some knowledge of the plants and trees. She was still quite young. However, Laverne and I wanted her to know the land and the nature she was part of. The gods demand it of us, so he taught her much as they were together often. We hiked through the area where running water froze in the winter, and I was glad we brought our cloaks as well as our heavier blankets for sleeping. The nights were getting cold. When we stopped for the night, Laverne set up our shelter. Several large pieces of cured leather sewn with tallow rubbed into the seam to slow the rain. I gathered pine branches to keep Chrissy and me off the cold ground. For the meals we had handfuls of barley at dawn, dried pork at midday, and whatever animals Dom and Logan had been able to kill during the day for the evening meal. Laverne and I added the herbs and greens we had picked along the way for flavor in the stew. We were never hungry. We rationed the barley and dried pork, not knowing how many sunrises we would stay at the gathering or how long the trip home would be. We brought plaid cloth and bronze pins for gifts and trade. One or two of these could go for food, if needed. After a few days, with so many people in one spot, all the easy game would be gone at the place of the meeting, and the hunters would have to make longer trips into the forests if the meeting lasted several sunrises. We walked for three days and arrived in the Great Glen. A large hilltop fort was perched above us, and we spread out on the plain under it. Chrissy, I said, do not run off. If you get lost, I may not find you. Stay and hold my hand. My armlets jangled against one another as I reached for her. One was the spiral bloodlines my mother had given me, and Laverne gave the second to me at Chrissy's birth. He had Finley fashion it unbeknownst to me. He asked that a raven and a fox sit on either side of each other with a knot tying them together. The armlets never left my arm. Chrissy said she could find me anywhere because of the jingle sounds I made. But mother, father says I have the sense of an owl. He said I could find my way home from the woods by myself now. Am I right, father? Yes, little bird, I did say that, said Laverne as he picked her up and set her on his shoulders, pride showing in his walk. Her long autumn-colored hair mingled with his bronze locks. I meant you know your way around our woods very well now, as you should, but you have never been here before, and there are many other people from neighboring clans. If you walk around unescorted, you may be mistaken for a slave, picked up, and put to work in a house. I know you would not like having to stay inside all day, would you? No, father, I would climb out the window and run away if I had to stay in all day. Ah, uh, as you have done at home, I said. Now stay with me as we go find Rona and the others. If you do not cause me to worry, I will find you a piece of honeycomb and bread for your midday meal. I smiled up at my beautiful daughter. She giggled and pulled on her father's ears. She has grown so, and at five summers it was difficult to keep up with her energy. A mordal was a time for order and agreement, not a time for battle between clans. Chieftains from many villages and forts attended. It was a time to exchange the legends of each clan during the evening fires, different cures for illnesses, and mock battles among the warriors, who had come as protectors of their leaders. Many druids attended. I was anxious to see Rona. 
We had been in contact each year since I traveled to Bethan's tomb and had grown to think of her as a grandmother to Chrissy. Hay stepped into view, and I knew Rona would be near. Hay was chieftain of his clan, but she was always close by his side to take in the events and trials and give advice. He appreciated having her near. As his clan's druidess and his mother, she had his ear often. Chieftain Hay, I called, it is a pleasure to see you. Ah, said Hay, I see the fox and his family is here. Laverne, have you renewed your fox skin yet this year? If not, I can cut a strip of bear skin from my coverlet, and you can convert to my guiding animal spirit. Laverne said, I cannot let you take a piece of fur, even a small one, from the tiny skin you took from a cub this year. I wager it is the only bear you have seen in years. I hear you have grown too slow to hunt and are sending your son out to do your work now. Hay stood two hands taller than Laverne, and his shoulders were almost twice the size of Laverne's. This was evident as he towered over Laverne at this moment, frowning. Your ears are not working correctly, red dog, Hay said. I have taken three full-grown bears this summer alone. One would step on a fox and eat it for a morning meal. At this, I saw Dom ready his hand on his sword if the words came to blows. I stepped to him and rested my hand on his arm. We will have no need of this now, I said, but if conversations get heated after the mead tonight, I will ask you to step up. Please do not drink more than two cups at the evening meal. He nodded in agreement, but gave me a look of unhappiness. He had eagerly awaited the drinking at this meeting and had not expected this request. Did anyone accompany you to hunt these legend animals? said Laverne. How do we know you did not come upon them after a war among themselves for a female, having already killed each other? My fox would outrun them and be safe in its den before your bears could understand that something ran between their legs. Phew! It's not a fair contest. I have my new fox skin, boasted Laverne, touching the band on his arm, the skin of a red fox, his guide. I took only the oldest to leave the young ones to tickle your bears. At this, Hay reached around Laverne and laughed as he picked him and Chrissy, still on Laverne's shoulders, up off the ground. Kenrick, Hay said, looking over his shoulder, do you not control your druid that he is allowed to insult a fellow chieftain? Ah, he insults me continually. He says it makes me stronger. I want that he eat the evening meal at your side tonight and give me some peace. After the greetings by the men were completed and Enrug, Hay's son, and Logan had wrestled their hellos, I felt that it was safe for me to step up, retrieve Chrissy safely from Laverne's shoulders, and ask about Rona. I did not see her in the trail of dust that floated in the air around us. Greetings, Jonna, said Hay, dipping his head to me. Rona is in the tent of Calm. It is the large one near the central oak tree. The druids gather there. Fox, take your wife and your cub and go find out what they are brewing. Kenrick and I will walk and talk about hunting large animals worth risking life and limb for and teach our sons about women. Yes, I will go, and if the gods be willing, I will see you tonight for the meal. Laverne touched Hay on the shoulder in friendship and then took my hand. They walked away as we headed to the tent.
"'It is good to see he is well and his family is healthy,' I said. "'Mother,' Chrissy said, "'I want to go with Logan. "'He will play with Enrug, and I want to be with them.' "'She thought of him as her big brother. "'She had spent much time with Kenrick's and Finley's family. "'Their children, all were older, "'yet seemed to have taken her in and treated her like a sister. "'A sister to be loved, tolerated, and taught. "'And in turn, she had developed love for them, "'especially Brock. "'Finley's son was now seven seasons, "'and Chrissy followed him like a puppy.' She would be with him all day and night if I did not ask her to come home for meals and sleep. Eric, Finley's wife, accepted her too and fed her along with her own when I was busy with an ill clansman. We had all become close through the loss of Bethan and my mother. Chrissy, Laverne said, Logan is to be with his father, our chieftain, and Enrug, who is to be with his father, his clan's chieftain. It is not a time to have a small girl along getting in the way of men. She was holding my hand, but at Laverne's statement, pulled away. No, I am not a little girl. Logan gets to stay outside. I want to stay outside and go hunting with them. You are going to talk with Rona, and I will have to sit still. I do not like that and want to go with Enrug and Logan. I smiled, and my heart swelled with love and pride when I looked at her. I saw so much of my mother in her when she was like this. She tilted her head to the left when she was angry and crossed her arms. Mother did the same when she called me in from playing. She was angry that I was not inside weaving as I should be. And I saw Laverne when flashes of light came from her eyes as she smiled. Her hair curled around her chin in the same rust-colored waves his did. I was there in the way she picked up injured animals and cared for them. She was our daughter, my mother's granddaughter. She was our blood. Come with us, and I will find the honey and bread I promised, I said. There will be other children there to play with. Logan must be with his father right now. At the mention of honey, she ran ahead and called for Rona. A crowd had gathered in and near the shelter. It was rigged so it had three walls and a roof to protect us from the rain. The hole in the center of the roof let out the smoke of the blessed oak fire that burned for the duration of the gathering. This was the meeting place of the Druids. The chieftain had their shelter, and we met for evening meals. After Chrissy was fed and settled with other children under the eyes of the older girls, I followed Laverne into the shelter. The smoke was thick, but I saw him near a group of white-cloaked druids. I quickly assessed the members of the group as druids I knew. Roston was young, a finger taller than I with hair the color of a meadow mouse and wide brown eyes. When I looked at him, I thought he was always just out of reach of the owl who was chasing him for dinner. His teacher had recently died. He was living with a clan near ours and was often asking Laverne for assistance or for his opinion. Laverne said, at least he knows what to ask. Uliam was attending his second Mordal from a clan north of the meeting place. His look was of the mountain hare. Something on his body is always moving, Fingers drummed or nose and ears twitched as if he had seen an eagle. He didn't speak until asked and then took the side of the greater number of the group. Morag and Cora were partners. Cora was a healer. They brought to mind river otters, playful and sleek, both with brown hair worn back in leather ties. They never tired of smiling and were hardly ever out of sight of each other. I saw a crying child raise a smile to Cora's face, just in the delight of having a child nearby. 
I had never heard Morag speak, but often Cora spoke for him. They lived with a clan near the coast. Rona had the look of a mother while she watched Morag. She touched his arm often. He has a golden light around his body, she said. The weight on my shoulders is less when I am near him. Nakrathian, the wolf from the east, was speaking, using his hands to emphasize points in the conversation so others had to step back. Something must be exciting him. I walked closer to hear. He was taller than Laverne and most of the rest of the group surrounding him. His long, gray, straight hair cascaded over his shoulders. His matching eyes roved over the attending group. His waving hands covered a great distance. I stood to the side of Laverne, away from Nathrakian's long reach. There are no traitors coming from the south anymore. We are losing the ancient paths we have walked forever. My friend from the land of Budachia has not been seen for two years. In my heart, I know he is dead, but it was not a natural death. My gut is uneasy, and there are words that are passed to us from that part of the land. Slaves. Many are taken as slaves or killed. The conversation around us grew quiet. The mention of slaves brought fear to all our hearts. Laverne's body was locked stiffly next to mine, and he clenched his jaw. His sisters were slaves, if they were still alive. What are the floating words, the rumors? Laverne asked. What do you hear? The wall is being crossed, and there are battles every day, said Rona. She spoke softly from behind us, and as we turned to see her, she held out her hands to greet me. Good day to you, sister, she said. I walked to her. We wrapped our arms around each other and kissed. Her shoulders were still as strong and wide as the first time she gave me support on my trip to Bethan's tomb. Good day to you. I hope your family is well. I remembered my vision and silently wished her many more years with them. Yes, we are all well. I noticed Chrissy outside. She is graced by the gods. I smiled and hung my head in agreement. Good day, Rona, Laverne said impatiently. What do you hear? What do you mean the wall is crossed? The floating words say the Roman wall is crossed by Roman warriors, trying to take our land sheep by bloody sheep, Laverne. No one here has seen them, have they? William asked. Do we know they want our land, or just the few miles near the wall? You are right, said Cora. Maybe they will not come to our clans. If we stay away from them and keep to ourselves, they may not war with us. I hear the timid voices of the untried warriors, Nathrakian said. I agree that we must not let them come near our clans, said Laverne. I know what they leave behind, only dead and missing. But I do not want to bring them here, either. A murmur of agreement ran through the crowd. We will talk with the chieftains and decide if there should be a plan for the protection of our clans, said Nathrakian in his deep, calming voice. We must be ready if they come. Tension eased in the air, and we went to other conversations. Laverne followed Cora, talking about the illnesses that vexed him the most, the fever that took children by closing the throat passage and choking. They are always trying new treatments. I prayed for one to work, fearing for Chrissy. Rona and I went to watch Chrissy and talked about children until the evening meal when we rejoined our families. The evening meal was a great, noisy, and song-filled event. 
The hunter-warriors who followed their chieftains had killed two bucks, now being spit-roasted. Each had its own man to turn it and keep it from scorching. The fat from the meat dripped into the fire and created a smoke that caused us all to hunger. The mead ran freely, and even Kenrick rose to sing our clan song about Bethan. Kenrick created a new verse, Every Doll, and now the song had Bethan killing ten warriors with one blow. I laughed when I heard this and knew Bethan laughed too on the other side. I took Chrissy by her hand and motioned Logan to follow. At our shelter, Chrissy crumpled to her blanket and fell asleep instantly. Logan and I laid next to her for warmth and I fell asleep, the children's sweet breath on my cheeks. Dom, Laverne, and Kenrick returning awakened me. Yes, the talk at our fire earlier was about the Romans, said Kenrick. There is concern by the lack of trade coming from the south. Even with the wall, trade could continue and has for many lifetimes. It has diminished greatly this season. We have not decided what to do about it yet. It will be discussed again tomorrow. This is a time to bring the Druids and Chieftains together, I believe. We have to plan our future tactics if we decide to alter the Roman advance. Yes, after the morning prayers, I agree we should gather, said Laverne. Both men became quiet as the night around us fell, except for the snoring of others asleep. Cuddled between two warm bodies of children, I tried to calm my breathing by tracing my maze in my mind. My visions and foretelling of a great battle seemed too close to us now. A nether with a sharp, deadly bite coiled inside my belly and never left me from this time on. In the morning I sat stirring cooked barley and goat's milk for Chrissy and Logan. Laverne came to me from his solitary walk in morning prayers. I heard you talking last night as you came in, I said. Even the chieftains are hearing the words of Romans. Yes, we are all to discuss it today. Chrissy was sitting and playing, drawing pictures in the dirt with a stick. He reached down and picked her up, wrapped her in his cloak, and sat down next to me. Good morning, Father. I'm going to look for a honey tree with some of the other children today. We talked about it yesterday, and we're going as soon as we eat. Laverne looked at me with concern. The older children have this planned and ask the younger ones to go, I said. Logan and Inrig are going. Ah, little bird, Meadul, is there a honey tree nearby? If not, we will call the bees and we will make one. We want honey for our midday meal. You are in the woods that you are not familiar with. Do not stray from the others when you go. Laverne tousled her hair and hugged her. She jumped up from his lap and sat down to finish her drawing. Laverne did not turn from her but stayed watching her movements. I will not let anything come to harm her, he turned to me and continued, or you. The snake in my belly hissed. The children left in an adventurous noise, and then word that the druids and chieftains would meet together today was passed from lips to ears. We stood around the fire to sing praises to Marigna. All raised hands praised her when a thunder of hooves and chariot wheels disturbed the start of a day. I turned just as the assembly of riders came to a stop at the outer edge of the crowd. Three warriors slid off their ponies and moved with a practiced fluidity into position. Each bore a spear, a shield, a bow, and arrows. They wore capes of brown wool and loins wrapped to protect themselves on the ponies. Their arms and legs were blue. 
This was a custom of the men who lived far north. The woad, taken there by traders, was used for body color more than for dyeing cloth. Two stood to either side of the ponies that pulled the chariot, and one on the ground, to the side of the man who stood in the chariot. Their eyes measured the crowd, watching, bodies tense and ready to protect the man they were guarding. The man in the chariot reviewed our gathering with sharp, dark eyes. His naked, fully dyed blue body revealed a short but very well-muscled warrior. His long nose hung over a mouth that was set in a grim line. He wore his golden hair stiffened with lime and swept back and yellow beard trimmed. His only protection from the weather was a cloak of deep green. On its collar was a row of feathers from a sea eagle, a bird that watches all, bearing talons of surprising strength to hunt and kill for its family. Also in the chariot, next to him, stood a woman. She wore a sun-whitened wool dress, her cloak the color of undyed wool. She wore strands of yellow boar's teeth around her neck. Her rust hair, braided in many rows, hung to her waist. A single sea eagle feather was woven into it and hung over her left ear. The man lifted his arms and looked as if he were ready to fly over us. He did not shout but spoke in a tone that caused us to lean forward. We concentrated to hear. I am Kalgakis. I am Kion Kiddick of many clans in the north. We pray to Scotia, the fierce mother goddess of our land. We have come together to prepare for the coming war. We know the Romans are coming to us. We have won and lost many battles with them before and have slowed their progress into our realm. Hope was never abandoned, as we are many and hidden in the most secret and sacred places. Because of these places we have been shielded as the most distant dwellers upon this ground. Our remoteness and obscurity have hidden our name from their lips. We are the last of the free. The Romans, in the name of peace, will rob, slaughter, plunder, and enslave those left alive. It is so in the lands where they now live. They have wiped our kind from existence there, and we, alone, are left to carry our bloodlines to the future. There is nothing beyond us but waves and rocks, yet they still come. Nature teaches us that every man's children and family are his dearest objects. We have seen these torn apart by death and slavery. Some are left to farm, to feed the slaves who were once members of their families. Can you raise grain to feed your daughters who are raped by the Romans daily? A loud, no, rose from the throats around me. Laverne wrapped his arm protectively around my shoulders. Heat radiated from his body. His eyes did not stray from the speaker, and a low groan escaped from him at the mention of rape. The face of the man who took me flashed like lightning across my mind. He was a Roman slave. He was once a proud warrior, but they turned him into an animal. This cannot happen to us. I grew resolved not to allow it. There is one Roman who comes our way with warriors. Calgacus continued. Agricola, he is the chieftain we must kill. It is his army we must defeat. His men are ignorant. They do not know our sky, sea, or forests. They have no wives or children to kindle their courage or parents to goad them into battle. They are lost in our land. 
The gods have delivered them to us. Behind him lie unmanned forts, guarded by the old, our minds of ancient times, and many slaves who will welcome a release to freedom. They cross the wall and are coming. What say you, chieftains? Others I have spoken to have agreed. If you say yes, then you will train your warriors and wait for my call. All the chieftains in attendance gathered into a knot of men. After a conversation the length of three breaths, Hay and Kenrick stepped forward. We agree, said Hay. We will train and await your call. Instantly the vision I had in Hay's stable was brought to mind, and the snake in my belly bit me. I was poisoned. I knew of Hay's death. Fear was fastened deep inside me now. The woman next to Calgaka stepped down from the chariot. Her path was straight, and the crowd split to allow her progress. She came to Laverne, laid her hand on his forehead, and said, This is the man who will work for us. He can speak the tongue of those who live on the wall. He will bring us what we seek. The goddess Scotia picks him for herself. This woman's beautiful face melted away and became the face of a hag. Her already long nose became sharper. Her sky-blue eyes turned to iron. Her well-formed mouth hung open to reveal black, jagged teeth. I imagined her breath to smell like the inside of an unclean stable. Her hair writhed about her head. I shook my head at the sight, but the hag's face remained. She slowly looked down to the ground, and when she looked back up, her face had become beautiful again. Laverne stepped to her as if drawn by a cord. His arm fell from my shoulders, and in my spirit I knew our relationship would never be the same again. She had stolen part of his heart. Bertha, said Calgacus, is my druidess. She tells me she has dreamed of you. She said you could go where the Romans live and bring back information. Her visions tell me that we must have this information. We must know how many they are and when they come. Laverne answered, You ask me to leave my family and my clan to take a journey that will last at least three moon cycles. I do not ask. I order, Calgacus said. Go in the spring. After Imbolc, they will not come in the winter. Go and come back to me with this knowledge. With that information, we will be prepared to go into battle. We must not lose to become slaves of Rome. Laverne's shoulders rose as he took a deep breath and turned to me. My mother died at their hands. My sisters and teachers are slaves, if still alive. I cannot let the Romans come here. I must go. My body was losing all of its strength to stand. I wavered and would soon fall. Rona stepped up behind me and laid her hand on the small of my back. Laverne's deep blue eyes begged me. I had no choice. We had to save Chrissy. My soul cried as I nodded and whispered, Yes, I agree. You must go. The Sea Eagle and his hag won. My fox was theirs.
We are more than halfway done now. There are 27 chapters total. I would love it if you would leave comments at iTunes or PatioBooks.com to let me know what you think of this story. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, Far Away, from his album, The Legend. His music can be found at www.etherian.com, who along with Steve have allowed me to use the music in my podcasts. Learn more about The Fox at www.radaski.com. Far away from all my pain Is a place that I call home Where all my loved ones rest Where souls are free to roam I can see my sweetheart smile And I wonder for a while How long must I remain so far away
that day For I'll have all that I need When from this life I'm free When they can 